What is going on, everyone? Welcome to episode seven of the Big Fly Pod with your co-host Christian Myers and myself, Ty Lewin. We hope you all enjoyed your Thanksgiving as we did ourselves. Today we are going to talk about the latest offseason moves, the Hall of Fame ballot for 2023, our favorite parks to visit, and our picks for the college football conference championships that are coming up this Friday, December 2nd. But let's check in with my co-host, Christian. How are we doing? We're good, Ty. We are good. We're ready to roll tonight. Yeah, absolutely. I am fired up. Some interesting topics to talk about, but also, too, some intriguing things to discuss. Um, So really quickly, just going over the current moves this past week since the last podcast. A couple moves that interesting to see what how they develop and then of course a big name off the market uh so starting with mike clevenger uh signed a one-year deal with the chicago white Sox. i had predicted jameson tyone to be the pick for the white Sox, but they get him on a one-year deal he's coming off of tommy john surgery i believe and has now uh just come off his last year with the padres had a rough year, not necessarily what everyone thought he could be for that uh, starting rotation, but they didn't necessarily need him based on the success they had over the year. Christian, your thoughts on the move? I think it's awesome for Clev. He's a name that we haven't even talked about at all on any of our episodes, and we probably should have. But like you said, he had a down year last year with the Padres, but he was in Cleveland before and pitched tremendously in Cleveland. And now he gets to go back into that. AL Central Division, and I, I'm guessing that part of his desire to go back there was just to be able to pitch against Cleveland a little bit more because I know there was a little bit of animosity from him towards the organization, so I think it's going to be really exciting to watch what he can do back in that division. Yeah, because last year in, in 2022, 7-7 record with a 4.33 ERA, not necessarily something that he wanted, but you know, prior to that, he was a pretty dominant pitcher there for a couple of years, around a three ERA uh, with multiple ten win seasons with the in formerly the Indians, now Guardians. So really interested to see how that can develop for the White Sox. The White Sox are looking to have a pretty dominant staff now moving into 2023. Hopefully, Giolito turns it around for him, along with Lance Lynn being healthy. We got a phone call coming in. Anything important, Christian? No, nothing important. Nothing important. Okay, perfect. So looking at that move, though, White Sox are putting themselves in a position to potentially take over that division that is currently wide open, as we've discussed here over the last couple of weeks. Other moves here, uh, Carlos Santana signed a one-year deal to the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, I had predicted them to go after Trey Mancini, trying to get a guy on a one-year deal, two-year deal to at least be able to be that either first base or DH position based on Michael Chavez and what he's going to do there in 2023. But Quality move by the Pirates. Carl Santana, a true veteran in the league and has been a spark plug for teams, of course, like the Guardians slash formerly the Indians and, of course, the Seattle Mariners there in 2022. Finally, the big move over the last week um, with Jose Abreu signing a three-year deal with the Houston Astros. I had predicted that, but I think it was pretty sure it was going to happen across the league and Many predictions had said that it was going to be the move by the Astros. They get a guy with, I think it's either double or triple the war that uh, Yuli Gurriel had in 2022. So, and along with, of course, his incredible batting average and his you know dominance there in the middle of the lineup. So, Christian, from your standpoint, do you see this as a move that is going to put them 
as the favorite again to win the World Series in 2023? Or what do you what are you thinking there? Well, first of all, I think you need to give yourself a little bit more credit than that for making the prediction there, Ty, because even though Thank you. a lot of people, a lot of the writers said, you know, we're saying that that might be a move. It was it was all over the board with them for who was going to go to first base. I think everybody kind of sensed they were going to pick up a first baseman, but I don't think anybody was really a clear cut favorite to land there. So overall though, I think great move for them. Um, You know, you're replacing your 39 year old first baseman with a 36 year old first baseman. So obviously Houston loves their experience there on the corner and I think Abreu's a great fit to go into the middle of that lineup that is already dangerous enough as it is. But to watch him and Jordan Alvarez go back-to-back is going to be really exciting, I think, for everybody in Houston. Yeah, because I think about like the Angels making all those moves and some of these other teams in, in their division looking to try and come back and trying to take over uh, that top spot. But I think the Astros just solidified themselves again f- to win that uh, division there in 2023. Um, all right. Well, let's move on to the Hall of Fame ballot. Interesting position here that we've had for who knows how long with the PED scandal and those players that were involved and still on the ballot, not being picked. Um, guys like, of course, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Kurt Schilling, Sammy Sosa, and Alex Rodriguez. Other notable names on the ballot that have been on the ballot for quite a few years here, but are uh, streaming upwards towards potentially getting in and in, into this ballot here in 2023. Scott Rowland, Todd Helton, Billy Wagner, and Andrew Jones. One other name on the list there, Jeff Kent. It's his last year to get in. All-time leader in home runs at second base. Interesting to see what happens there. And new members on the ballot, guys like uh, Carlos Beltran, Francisco Rodriguez and men's league hall of famer, Jason worth. So interested to see where that all goes from there. But I would like to start off with this Christian. When you're looking at the PED scandal and what that has turned into for such a long time, your thoughts there on, do you believe that bonds, Clemens, Kurt Schilling, Sosa, a rod in your standpoint do you see them as worthy of being in the hall yeah I have a couple of opinions on this because I think all of these guys and I may be wrong so correct me if I am but I think they're all on that not the main ballot but the alternate ballot which I don't a hundred percent understand how that works but basically what it is I think is a uh, like a committee that votes for all these guys who have been on the ballot and not got voted in by the writers and then it goes to a Hall of Fame committee to select who who off of this sort of alternate ballot, if you will, gets in. And in my opinion, and I'll live and die on this hill, I don't think that any any players linked to PEDs at any point should be in the ballot. So uh, Barry Bonds, I think, that does not deserve to be in the Hall of Fame despite what he did and how great of a career he had. And I know a lot of people make the case that, oh, well, he was one of the best players ever, even if he didn't take steroids and that's great, then he shouldn't have taken them and he would get my vote to get in based off of that. But um, because of the PEDs, I don't think that he deserves to be in the hall. And I think that's one of the great things about the baseball hall of fame too, is how 
selective it is. You know, a few years ago, there was nobody who got voted in off the ballot last year. There was only one guy who got voted in. Um, and, you know, I have I have a good buddy of mine who is a huge Bonds supporter and Bonds believer. And he always says, oh, well, he never tested positive or anything like that. Well, there was the one incident with Bonds with the, the Balco thing where they had a, a vial of urine that tested positive for steroids, but they said they didn't know who it was from because they were all marked with numbers. Well, I would have to think that you could associate the number with whoever, you know, took the pee to go in there and there was everything coming out that it was linked to. It was Barry Bonds who tested positive. So uh, make the case however you want. I don't think that he deserves to get in. And that, but on the flip side, um, I think it's absolutely baffling that Kurt Schilling's not in the Hall of Fame. You know, this is a guy who was never found to have done steroids ever and very, very widely accepted that he never did use them. Um, I think the reason he's not been voted in yet by the writers is because of all the stuff that he's got into after his career was over, whether it's the uh, political stuff or some of his investments that have gone sour and put him in the spotlight in the wrong ways. But when you look at Schilling, I mean, this is such a dominant pitcher. 3,116 strikeouts um, is incredible. The playoff performances that he had across his career were outstanding. I mean, one of the best postseason pitchers of all time. Uh, was the co-World Series MVP in 01 with Randy Johnson. And then, of course, obviously the bloody sock game in 2004, which, you know, everybody can speculate on that. I know firsthand that that was not catch up inside the sock. Um, so I think Kurt Schilling deserves to get in and that it's absolutely ridiculous that he's not in already. And if you follow me on Twitter and you've seen any of my tweets the last couple of years with the Hall of Fame voting, you know how strongly I feel about that. So those are my thoughts there. Yeah, you know, to, to go back to what you said about the alternate ballot, you are right, Christian. So it looks as if the period of time uh, a player used to be eligible to sit on the Hall of Fame ballot was 15 years, but the Hall of Fame knocked it down to 10 years in 2014. A little bit of a... a, a uh, maybe potentially a myth there where it potentially was because of the fact of trying to make sure the Hall of Famers couldn't get in. But there is another route into the Hall besides the BBWAA vote, the so-called Veterans Committee. This past summer, the Early Baseball Era Committee selected Buck O'Neill and Bud Fowler, while the Golden Days Era Committee tabbed Jimmy Cat and Minnie Minoso, Tony Olivia, and Gil Hodges as Hall of Famers in the 2022 class. So seems like there are some alternative methods now that they're using and I'd, I'd be interested to know how those came about because if they moved it to 10 years, but then they're going to have alternate ba- – it, it's just kind of a weird scheme there. I think my position on the whole PED scandal is that – I mean, I, I'm going to be the, the guy who says that if you look at these guys from the beginning of their career till the end, it's kind of freakish. Um, you know, Mark McGuire looked exactly like you know Jose Canseco towards the end of his career. And Jose Canseco was found positive. Um, So it's just sort of this weird dynamic that we have where we still are dealing with Pete Rose and that whole issue. We're still dealing with the PED scandal. And now it's going to be really interesting when it gets down to the fact of Carlos Beltran, where he's a part of the cheating scandal with the Astros. And then guys like Jose Altuve, you know, 
Alex Bregman, um, you know, potentially a guy like Jordan Alvarez, you know, some of these guys that are now in this position of criticism to get into the hall based on what they've done. I, I, I'm interested to see now they're doing all these alternative committees. Are they going to do an alternate hall? I don't think they will, but again, this is all really interesting to look at now looking at turning it over to the guys that are not in that situation, specifically guys like Scott Rowland and Todd Helton, um, guys that have been trending upwards for many, many years, guys like I think it was Tim Raines and some of the other guys that made it in like two or three years ago, they all were at like 9% vote in their first year and then ended up getting in, I think it was like by their fifth or sixth. Todd Helton, Scott Rollner are in that same book, so it looks like they're likely to get in. But I think what's really, why I think Todd Helton for sure should get in is I look at a guy like Larry Walker who got in, uh, I think it was last year or the year before. Uh, Todd Helton, Larry Walker... Two years ago, yep. okay. Todd Todd Helton beat Larry Walker in his career stats in batting average hits, singles, doubles, extra base hits, OBP, RBIs, walks, and had less strikeouts. Um, so and, and more games. I think it's more at bats as well. So that's his case. I think he for sure is going to get in. And then of course, Scotty Rowland, one of the best third uh, defensive third basemen of all time, eight gold gloves, fourth in MLB history, uh, behind guys like Nolan uh, Arenado and others. Um, top 15 among third basemen and home run RBIs and slugging percentage, seven-time All-Star, World Series winner in 2006, 281, 364, 490 slash line. I mean, that's pretty damn good. I see both those guys easily getting in. Uh, but Christian, I know you have somebody else on the list that you think is going to get in. Yeah, so for me, looking at the ballot, um, you know, I like the case you make for Todd Helton, and obviously as a Rockies fan, I, I would love to see that. But if I was voting on this year's ballot, uh, the only name I think that I would check off on my boxes is Billy Wagner, who I think is deserving of being in the Hall of Fame. He's six all time in saves, had an awesome career with Houston. You know, I remember being a little kid and watching Wagner throw on the TV and just thought that it was so fun when he would come in to close those games out. And he was a guy kind of like, I mean, obviously not as good as Mariano Rivera, but he was a guy that, you know, you would watch on that Houston team with. Berkman and Bagwell and Biggio and um, Hidalgo and all these other guys. And you knew when it got down into the ninth inning that if he was coming into the game, it was probably, you know, over for whoever he was going up against. So that's back when they had the really cool, like burgundy maroonish uniforms with the star on the hat. And it was awesome. I love Billy Wagner. I think he's one of the greatest closers ever. And I think that, if I was voting, that would be the only name that I would probably check off my box to get in. Yeah, hundred uh, out of a hundred sixty-two game average over sixteen years, looks like thirty-four saves. Um, looked to be about a nine hundred and three innings, hundred off from a thousand. Um, yeah, that's a that's that's pretty good. Over a thousand strikeouts. Um, consistently was a guy for them in a 2.31 ERA over his career. Not too shabby, not too shabby. So really excited to see that ballot. Then the the last couple here um, with the newest members on the ballot, as we mentioned uh, in the intro, Carlos Beltran, 70.1 war, eighth highest for center fielders all time. Now let me ask you this, Christian, the whole cheating scandal with the Strohs. Does that eliminate him now? Does that put him in the same ballpark as the PED and Pete Rose category? Or what are you thinking there? 
Yeah, it's interesting. Um, it's interesting to think about because, I mean, personally, I I think Pete Rose should be in. Uh, be, you know, I mean, his his whole gambling thing obviously is not is frowned upon. Um, but you know, at at the end of the day, he he's stuck by his story that he always bet on his team to win. So as long as he wasn't betting on him to lose, I mean, you, you, it's fishy, but there's a little bit of give and take there uh, because that's just how confident he was in his clubs. Um, but anyways, going back to what you wanted to talk about with Beltron, that that's another tough one, right? Because it's obviously another big cheating thing and it kind of comes at a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger of a stage because it was in the playoffs and in the world series. So you're taking away that opportunity from so many other guys, but at the end of the day, and this is kind of what I've been saying for years is even if you know what pitch is being thrown to you, it's still pretty hard to hit the ball because even though if it's a curveball coming like that curveball might not be a strike and you won't know that till later, um, now I know, obviously, you know, we're talking about big league hitters who have some of the best eyes in the world, in my opinion. So it's a little bit, a little bit different, I guess, to talk about it in that sense, because it does kind of make the game easier. But Beltron had, I mean, a tremendous career. I would hate to see something like that in his last year that he played uh, be what kind of holds him back from getting any awards that he maybe should be able to get. Um, so that's kind of, that's kind of a toss up, I think really. And I don't know, I can't say one way or another, whether I think it would, it should prevent him from being selected into the hall of fame. If that is the issue that would get him in or keep him out. Yeah, it's crazy too. Cause like legitimately his last year was of course with Houston, but was with Texas, New York, St. Louis, the Mets, he was with a lot. I mean, he really, man, that's just tough that it happened in his last year of playing. I mean, that's, that's rough. But again, I mean, it seemed like a lot of people or throughout the clubhouse and the issues and the storylines that came out of it, he was a proponent of it and was the one leading the charge. So I think that they probably, you know, from the writer standpoint are going to have a little bit more information about how much he was involved but, I mean, it seems, you know, from my standpoint, if you're going to say PEDs is cheating, if you're going to say Pete Rose betting on his team, whatever that is, but technically cheating. And so, I don't know. I it, Again, really hard hard place to sit right there and, and see what, you know, what that should be for Carlos Beltran. But, I don't know. I just don't like the Astros, so maybe I, I just don't <laughs> want to see him get in. <laughs> yeah, so, you and almost um, everybody else in America outside the – yeah, yeah. Anybody who has a trash can. Um, all right. Uh, and then the other name, of course, Francisco Rodriguez, K-Rod. Um, one of my most beloved players growing up, one of the most electric players in baseball and only came out you know, for usually just one inning uh, a night or every couple of games. So interested to see if he gets in, but I think the ones we're really likely going to see are, like you mentioned, Christian, Billy Wagner, Scott Rowland, Todd Helton. Um, and we'll see, do the PED guys finally get in through that veterans committee? That's, uh, that's it for the hall of fame ballot. Yeah. So now we've got a, uh, little bit of a fun segment here that we're going to cover. So this question actually got sent in by 
one of our big fly faithfuls, which I think we need to get you guys a, a little name too, as our listeners. So if you have any suggestions on a name, uh, drop them in the comments or DM us on Twitter, or Instagram at big fly pod. But this was submitted by John Zima and this question is actually really cool considering what's going on in the changes in baseball now where uh, they're now requiring every team has to play against each other at least once. So there's going to be a lot of American League and National League matchups that we haven't seen in the past, and it's going to be happening every year. So the way I understand it is it's going to be kind of like in uh, college football where one year you're in City A and then the next year you're playing in City B. And so John asked, us um, to go through a couple of our favorite ballparks to visit and places that we think are worthy of trying to schedule a little getaway to go see your favorite team play on the road. So Ty and I have both been to quite a few parks. So we were going to give you guys our three or four favorites that we've been to. And hopefully, you know, one of these coming up years, you guys will we'll try and plan a trip to go out of town and go see your team on the road. So Ty, I'm going to let you kick us off with this discussion of what is one of your favorite parks and what attracts you to it for our listeners to be on the lookout for. Yeah. So one of my favorites is Wrigley field North. Uh, Sorry, excuse me. It is known as Miller park uh, up in Milwaukee. I love the aspect of the dome. I think it's amazing. I think it's also a park where you can absolutely get after it uh, and you could take that as you want, but it's a ballpark that, you know, cheap drinks, cheap food, not really a bad seat in the house. And I'm when there's obviously been playoff games, I haven't necessarily been to a playoff game at Miller park, but the, the stadium it gets rocking and that place is absolutely electric. And it's actually one of my favorite games I've ever been to was a Brewers Cubs game. Um, because there was more Cub fans there. But besides that, that place is absolutely an amazing ballpark. You can tailgate easily out in the parking lot, which you know some of the other stadiums I've been to, you can't. So I'm taking Miller Park as one of my favorites. Um, and then, of course, being a Cubs fan with Wrigley, it's one of the you know one of the finest ballparks in all of baseball, and continues to be developed. And you know, obviously, the Ricketts continue to use more money for the stadium rather than for their players. But that's besides the point. Um, for personally, I've also been to Progressive uh, Field in Cleveland, um, an amazing ballpark, a park that really has an interesting kind of dilemma to it. It's, it feels massive, especially with the left field wall. So definitely recommend that ballpark if you're in town. And of course, Christian, why not course, right? One of, one of my favorites when it comes to a ballpark that you are there either to watch the game. If you don't want to watch the game, you don't have to at all. There are a lot of things to do around the ballpark. Uh, if you have kids, you know there's more than enough to do with them as well. Um, and the third deck uh, where I saw Shohei Itani somehow put a ball up there, but went up there, you know, a couple bars up there that are a lot of fun. But uh, that's really my list. And then I also have like a wish list uh, of ballparks that I want to go to. I haven't been to Fenway. Definitely want to go there. T-Mobile Park in Seattle. Really want to go there for a playoff game or like a meaningful game as it seemed like that ballpark was absolutely sick during uh, the runs by the... Mariners the past two years along within the playoffs Oracle Park in San Francisco just because of the Bay Bay Area and how beautiful that park is um, and you know being able to kind of walk into that stadium and feel the memories that have been that have went in there within the last 20 to 25 years and finally Dodger Stadium but if I can avoid the LA traffic I would prefer to do that 
that's my list, Christian. What about you, brother? Uh, well, that's actually awesome that those are on your wish list because those are on my list of parks that I have to talk about. So I've I've been lucky to have gone to almost every stadium um, outside of both New York's. I went to the last game at Old Yankee, but haven't been to New Yankee yet. So need to get you were at there. the you were at the game for the Old Yankee. I did. Yeah, are you I serious? went to yeah when uh, I think I think I was in seventh grade or eighth grade. Um, and yeah, got to, got to go out to that. So my dad took me out there and yeah, it was awesome. Really cool. Really cool. Um, and part of the, you know, part how of the was reason, it, how was it watching? Was it fun watching Yankees fans cry? Cause I enjoy watching oh, that. I mean, it, it was great. So I'm a, I'm a huge baseball history guy. So to be able to go there for the last game was, uh, was awesome. Um, and, you know, so I, I haven't been to the new Texas and I haven't been to the new twins yet, but I've been fortunate enough to cross all the other ones off. And, um, you know, with that being said, with me being the, the big baseball history guy, um, Fenway Park is a park that I think if you are able to get get out to Boston to go see your team play at some point, uh, it's well worth the experience. Um, you know, fun fact, Fenway park opened on the day that the Titanic sank in 1912 and obviously the oldest ballpark in baseball um, with Wrigley being second Fenway's got obviously some new additions to it over the years, of course, but still really cool to go in and it's got, you know, the old style feel with all the seating and everything like that. Um, Obviously, the monster is there, which is an awesome experience if you got a chance to get up there, even just for a half an inning or something like that. Really cool pesky pole in right field. Super, super awesome if you get to sign it even better. Um, And then also just Boston as a city in itself is fantastic. Just all the history that's there, all the cool things to do would highly suggest trying to take a duck boat tour if you're able to get out there and do that. But also make sure that you get out there sometime in the midsummer because it is pretty cold April, May and September. If, uh, if you catch it on a bad day. Um, so that was one of them Safeco field or excuse me, T-Mobile park in Seattle. Another one that I think is super cool. Just right there on the water uh, right next to the Seahawks stadium as well. And again, another really cool city. Uh, the views inside the ballpark are awesome everywhere. You know, if you walk out into left field and go down underneath the stands, you can walk right behind the bullpen and see inside the bullpens at a, a field level perspective. So I think that's pretty awesome. Um, Oracle Park, where the Giants play, was another one that I had on my list as well of really fun places to go, you know, San Francisco. I mean, I can only handle it for a couple days at a time, but the fisherman's wharf out there is, is sweet. And then they also have some of the best garlic fries ever at Oracle park. And then obviously you get McCovey Cove beyond right field where you get to see all the balls fly into the water and the people in the kayaks going crazy, trying to go get them. And then Dodger stadium is another one too, that, you know, like you said, avoiding the LA traffic is uh, a big thing there and it's tough to get in and out of, but when you're in there, it's awesome. You know, it's got everything that you see on TV is what you get. The atmosphere is really cool. Can see a couple of big Hollywood celebrities sitting 
front row behind home plate. You get your Dodger dogs. And then I think that the best seat in the house, actually, if you walk, because it's in the ravine, so it's kind of tucked down a little bit. Um, but if you go up to the top behind home plate and look down, I think is one of the one of the coolest views um, ever. And then probably my favorite park, I think, is Petco in San Diego, um, because how can you not love San Diego? You know, Ty and I are actually going to be out in San Diego for New Year's. So I'm excited for that. Um, Inside the stadium, the aesthetics are super cool. You've got the uh, big Western Metal Supply Co. sign out there in left field, which is a historic landmark in San Diego now. I don't know how long that's been a thing, but that's pretty cool. Um, They have a beach inside the stadium where I think a lot of families just take their kids to go chill during the game. And then it's also super close to the airport. So during the game, you see all the planes coming in and out behind center field. And for whatever reason, I just think that's one of the coolest things ever. Um, So those are the stadiums that I would highly recommend on my list. So over the next couple of years, get a really good shot to go check out your team playing on the road somewhere um obviously any any major league stadium is is cool to go to and fun to go check off your list if if you have one uh and if not i guess it's never too late to start um you have any any honorable mentions or anything like that i was gonna ask you your thoughts on the dodger dog i mean it's a hot dog but it's a dodger dog so so it just makes it a little better so i mean what are you, or how are you raking that up against like a dog from Wrigley? Oh, that's tough. The Chicago dog is so to... good from Wrigley, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. The Dodger the dogs Dodger just dog got that. It has that whole Dodger dog feel to it. Where <laughs> I mean, you walk up to the concession stand and order a Dodger dog. It's just like when you watch the Sandlot when you're younger, and they finally, mm-hmm. you finally get to have one. And it, yeah, I think, I think like for like the honorable mention stuff, I think it's just those ballparks where, you know, you have those teams that are just going to try to figure it out here in the next couple of years. You know, I think the D backs would be so that that stadium would be so sick. What, what's that's called? Um, chase field, the chase field formerly known. I think that's going to be it. Yeah. I think it's honestly going to be a sick ballpark here in a couple of years when they get good again, because all those people that are moving to that area and how popular that area is, people, you know, don't necessarily baseball, the the diamondbacks aren't the first thing they think about when they get out there and want to go see. Um, but man, that area is going to be popping, uh, especially if the D backs get good and that stadium is going to be absolutely rocking if they can get to the playoffs. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much it for my list, honestly. So, okay. Awesome. Well, now that, you guys have some ideas of some trips you want to take. We got to figure out a way to get you all some money to get out and take these trips. And with that being said, this week is college football conference championships. So they kick off on Friday night. Uh, the Power Five games, we start off Friday with the Pac 12 championship with USC Utah. And then Saturday, we've got Big 12 with TCU and K-State, the SEC game with Georgia and LSU, the ACC game is Clemson and North Carolina, and then the Big Ten matchup of Purdue and Michigan. So, Ty, across the board with the Power Five championships, 
who are your picks for the weekend? So I'll just make all five picks that I have right now um, here off the board. So I'm going to start off with the SEC Championship, Georgia versus LSU, Georgia by a milli. Minus 17 and a half. I'm taking that all day long. So that's my pick. Pac-12 Championship, Utah versus USC. USC's obviously come out of nowhere and of course gotten, you know, not necessarily lucky, but had some, you know, good luck here in the last couple of weeks with some of the teams that have had big losses. So I'm taking the USC money line at minus 139. Big 12, Kansas State, TCU. I'm taking TCU money line minus 132. Get them in the playoff, please. Big 10, Purdue versus Michigan. I'm actually picking Purdue to cover at plus 16 and a half, but I can definitely see, I mean, here's the thing. So Purdue... Purdue beat Illinois, and Illinois almost beat Michigan. And so that leaves me to think, you know, that's a possibility. But when you come off a win like Ohio State, it can go one of two ways, right? Like it it could be one of those where it's just no one can stop us. We just beat one of the best in the country. Or they could be, you know, having that little bit of a hangover from that win and potentially see Purdue come out of nowhere in the Big Ten Championship again. Something really interesting always happens in that game, so I'm taking Purdue to cover at plus 16.5. And And then an ACC Championship, Clemson Clemson versus North Carolina. I'm taking North Carolina money line at plus 235. I think Clemson is a joke. Okay. Your picks, Christian. Okay. Uh, For the most part, I mean, I agree with you. I think Georgia... At 17 and a half, it's such a big spread, but they've been whooping up on everybody. So, how? I mean, you know, Brock Bowers, probably one of the best best players in the country for Georgia. Last time they played each other was three years ago. So we don't really have a, a, a sample to go off of in recent times, but I think Georgia will probably cover with not not too many issues there. Um, in the Pac-12 championship, very interesting because Utah beat USC the last time they played each other uh, last month or a couple months ago maybe. Um, but USC, I mean, is just too good. And I'm betting a wagon. With, with my heart on that one because I did take USC at the very beginning of the season to actually win the national championship um, at plus 3,500. So, I need them to win to get in. Uh, I think they're going to do it. That offense is just too explosive right now, and I think that they're going to cover the two-and-a-half points as well. Um, moving on to the Big 12 championship, this this is an interesting one with TCU and K-State because obviously TCU has had this kind of a Cinderella year to get up into the top four, and now they're number three for the playoff. Um they've been finding ways to win. I mean, they've had some slow starts and they've figured out how to pull it through at the end. It's going to be a tough matchup for them. And it'll be interesting to see what happens if they lose just because of how everything else shapes out across the board, looking at some of these other teams fighting to get into a playoff. So even with a loss, they may still sneak in to the playoff at the four, but I don't think it's going to be an issue because I think TCU is going to win. They're playing in Dallas, so not too far away from Fort Worth. And they've just – I mean, their Max Dugan's been amazing this year. And, I mean, he could go to Radio City for the Heisman Trophy ceremony, even though Caleb Williams from USC is probably going to win. But anyways, um, to make a short answer long, just give me TCU on that one to win. 
And then I actually like your North Carolina pick in that game. And I don't know if they'll win, but I think they'll cover for sure. Mac Brown's going to have them playing big time football against the Tigers. And I think it's going to be close throughout. So they might not, they might not win. I hope that they do for your bet, but I think taking them to cover is probably a smart bet. And then in the big 10 championship, um, just give me Michigan to cover in that one. I think they're too dominant and they've got all the, all the momentum coming off the Ohio state game. And then my honorable mention for a pick this week in the Sunbelt Championship, Coastal Carolina and Troy. If Grayson McCall is going for Coastal Carolina, I don't know that they'll win, but I think they'll cover eight and a half points. So those are my picks for the weekend on college football. Beautiful. Well, folks, hope you enjoyed this episode. We did it as well with the just specifically the conference championships uh, games this weekend. If TCU and USC lose, it's going to be an absolute, it's just going to be crazy with who's going to get in at that point. And, you know, it's just, it's why it's one of the best. It's why it's one of the best parts of the year um, with college football. And now we, you know, we roll into college basketball, roll into, you know, obviously the NHL. And then, of course, into the Super Bowl and then right into baseball season, which, of course, at the end of the day, we are so excited for, as always. So, folks, thanks so much for tuning in. Christian, anything else to add before we sign off here? Thanks very much, everybody. We're going to keep coming up with some fun topics of discussion to talk about so it's not just the the boring stuff. And if you guys have anything that you would love to hear our thoughts on or hear us chat about for a little bit, please feel free to shoot us a DM on Twitter, Instagram, and we will make sure and incorporate it somehow into future episodes. Absolutely. All right, everyone. Well, tune in for next week's episode. Other than that, we'll talk to you soon.